Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. In this message, Pastor Will Harold teaches how going all in with God means holding nothing back. Enjoy the message. Going all in means that we're spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And so I immediately got thinking, when do I see people contributing in society? And for me, one of my favorite times every year is March Madness. And I think about all the contributions that it takes in order for a college basketball team to win the trophy, to, to go all the way in the NCAA tournament. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year. And, and partly because for like 95% of the players, this is probably about as good as it's going to get, right? This is going to be their biggest stage. This is their, their moment to go up there and, and really do something on national TV. And my favorite players, and I know Tyler, I've, we've watched games in the past, um, I call them the hype men. Because you see, whenever the, the, the starter makes a three to tie the game at, at, you know, at, at a big moment, um, you see these guys jump off the bench and they start waving their towels and they're bringing water and they're getting the starters hyped up. They're keeping that momentum going. And the reason I like these guys so much is because they're just as integral to the team as any other player, right? Like, they show up at every practice, they know every play, and when the coach puts them in the game, they're expected to know what to do and perform. Uh, and like, like many of us, they're contributing to their team's eventual win with their physical presence, both on and off the court. And so while I do kind of cheer for the hype men that come off the bench, it's something that's kind of unique to college sports. You, know, you don't really see that in the pros where, you know, the guys will hit a homer and they just kind of make it through the dugout or, you know, the, the, the football guys do whatever they do on the field. And uh, you don't really see the bench players getting involved like they do in college. And so my main point this morning is to kind of channel some of that energy from the hype men, to kind of channel um, that energy that we see displayed in the NCAA tournament and to encourage us to go all in. Because the main point is simply this, going all in means holding nothing back. If you don't remember anything else, just remember this. Going all in means holding nothing back. So what is, and, and there's three ways that we're going we're gonna to break this down, going all in. It's, we're going to focus on time, talent, and treasure. All right, three simple things. They all start with T. It should be memorable. Um, so let's start with uh, time. What is the most valuable, non-refundable resource that you have? In case you didn't know, that's time, right? You can't get more of it, can't make it. Uh, once you spend it, it's gone, right? And unlike money, it, 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 time doesn't grow on trees. Um, that's a joke. Um, but, uh, you know, um, we're going to start with time. And after Tom's message from last week, I'm sure a lot of us left here thinking more about how we're going to spend our time and what we truly value with our time. Um, you know, we've created uh, calendars to organize it, uh, ways to prioritize it, and apps to show us how we're spending our sp screen time, but we still seem to always run out of time, and we're always saying things like, there's not enough time, or ain't nobody got time for that, right? Like, we find all these ways to say we don't have time in society, but yet it's so valuable. So let's look at something that Paul says about time in Ephesians 5.15. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish and understand what the Lord's will is. What Paul is encouraging the church and reminding us is that um, there is an inheritance to come. And we need to see our time. We need to see the way that we are investing um, our lives 
as, as an inheritance into that kingdom, right? And, and most of us understand the value of investing, of, of putting something away to receive a, a return with some interest later, right? Um, and so we, we understand that concept. But do we understand our time as an investment into the kingdom of God? You see, um, I, think, I think about funerals. When, when people come together and, and they celebrate the lives of the people who have gone, right? And we celebrate the memories that they've made, the people that they've reached out to, the impact that they've had can be seen um, through the conversations and the memories that are shared at funerals, right? And so when I mention somebody, like, let's say, the Lincoln, the Lincoln Memorial, right? One person's face comes to, head, comes to your head, right? It's, it's Abraham Lincoln. And as much as I would love to have a um, enshrine with me sitting on a chair and everyone coming to see me, you know, and, and, and that one time a year when the eighth graders are visiting to learn all about me on their eighth grade trip, right? Like, that's probably not going to happen. But the good news for us as Christians is that our time as an investment into the kingdom of God will lead others to remember us. And so by going all in with our time, um, we can see that we're going to make a lasting impact and we'll leave a legacy that's better than a statue in a, in a memorial. So uh, in Exodus 3.13, we're going to see another key distinction about why time is such an investment through a conversation between God and Moses. Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also says, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and you shall call me from generation to generation. So after fleeing Egypt, Moses has this miraculous experience where he's talking face to face with God in a burning bush. It's crazy. We don't understand how it happens, but it really happened, right? And so um, God's telling Moses to go back and tell all these people about who, who he is and he's going to deliver them and the promise is going to come true. And it's, it's natural to be like, yeah, I just talked to God. I'm, I'm all for it. Let, send me, God. I'm, I'm ready to go. But there was a problem. The people, the, the Israelites, had been in captivity for 400 years. And some of them have kind of wandered in their faith. Some of them had begin, begun to start doubting God. And some of them were like, I don't know, why, who are you telling me that, that's, you know, that's going to free me? Like, why should I trust you? By whose authority? And they're asking all these questions, right? And uh, notice how God instructs Moses to introduce himself to people who have forgotten him. He uses relational terms the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> God is drawing on the history, on the people that have gone before, as an illustration of who is calling and setting the people ultimately free. And so we should learn from this that relationships matter, that we serve a relational God who wants you to know him in relational terms. And that's why the people that you choose to invest your time in, the relationships that you invest in, they actually matter. And uh, think about it like this. Like, as the family pastor, I work a lot with the teens, the students, from birth all the way to high school, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the group that, I, uh, that I'm with. And uh, obviously, having my hands in student ministries, there's a lot of relational ministry that goes on, right? Um, and I, we would be wrong to say that our main mission is to put on a world-class production, 
Like, yes, we should have places and spaces that capture the hearts, minds, and imaginations of kids. Like, I don't want kids sitting in whitewashed rooms. But there's always going to be a better production in town, right? There's always going to be, you know, whether it's Six Flags or whether it's Legoland or Disney World, we're not going to be able to outspend and outcreate environments like these places that kids go to for fun, right? But the one strength that we have, the one thing that the church should capitalize on is our relationships. And it's something that the entertainment industry desperately tries to manufacture. That's why they have all the guys dressing up in the big costumes with the foam heads, walking around, taking pictures. They have all these structures built to create you know, moments for kids with the physical presence of their favorite characters, right? But as, as a church, we should, um, it, we should strive to invest in the next generation through our relationships. And think about what your time means to a student. Think about what your time means to a child. When you actually say, hey, look, I'm going to prioritize you because you matter to me. I'm going to, I'm going to make time in my calendar for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to show up at your events. I'm going to be there for you. Um, I've had students tell me that when they take tests, their small group leaders are texting them saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Do a great job on your test. Like, that's physical presence. That's a relationship that matters. And that's showing kids that ultimately they value, that they matter not only to God, but to the community that they're a part of. And I think, uh, I think the, the, one of the key things to remember here, there's this guy named Reggie Joyner, and he calls it doing for a few what you wish you could do for everybody. Because we can't serve everybody with our time. We, we go crazy, right? But we can do for a handful, for a small group, what we wish we could do for all. And so that's, that's kind of the, the heart here. And, and that happened to me. Like I, when, I was, when I was a senior in high school, I was like two months away or two or three months away from graduating. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I met Jesus for the first time here at Rev. And Pastor Andy took me under his wing. He gave me my first Bible. He taught me how to walk daily with God, how to, in, how to, in, how to have a relationship with God, how to, how to follow him. And then, and then you know, and it was, he, was, he didn't have to do that. Like, I was on my way out to college, you know, like of all the students that you, you're going to put your, all your time, effort, and energy into, Typically, it's like seniors. Yeah, you know, I hope I hope it it, it sticks. But quite honestly, you're 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 out you're out the door. You know, like like you're you're not going to be around for a while. Um, but but no, he saw me as a student who was hungry to learn about God. And he's like, I don't care if you're here for six months, six weeks, or six days. I'm going to show you how to follow Jesus. And and not only did he teach me how to walk the walk, teach me what God said. But he went above and beyond. He connected me with a campus ministry. He connected me with a church. And I had a Christian brother waiting for me at move-in day. And that's the kind of relationships um, that, that, that we can have, where we care about people enough to say, hey, look, I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my, 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 uh, my priority. And I'm going to help you succeed in your walk with Christ. And so as, as people of God, as the church, we can be that relational bridge for students, for kids, for whoever, so that our students won't just know God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they'll know God as the God, as the God of Mr. Joe, as the God of Amy, and as the God of Dan. They'll know by our example as we follow Christ, as they meet adults who are God-like, they will understand more about who the God that we talk about every single week and how much he loves them. So again, going all in means holding nothing back. And don't withhold your time, because your time can be a valuable investment for the kingdom to come.
Our next thing, our next point, uh, second aspect of going all in is with talent. Talent, for, and I know as soon as I start mentioning talent, you're like, well, I'm definitely not going on stage and singing because for so many talent shows are all about karaoke and singing and, and doing the, doing the trip, tricks and stuff. And if you're like me, you like the shows like America's Got Talent and you especially like the auditions because what do we see? We see people with no talent and no self-awareness getting up on stage, humiliating themselves, right? And you're like, I'm not going to do that, God. Like, sure, I have talent in some things, but I'm not about to go and make a fool of myself. Well, let me reassure you with this. God doesn't pick the dodgeball team in the same way that we do. God doesn't see the same value in people that, you know, we might see in society. God looks at the heart. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. So before you write yourself off as talentless, think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the number one draft pick. You don't have to be the cream of the crop. Because all it is is going before the Lord and saying, here I am, God, use me, send me, I will go, I will use whatever you give me, and then you let the Holy Spirit fill in for your weakness. And, and that's the way that God can use our talents. You don't have to be, you know, the top 1%. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't need a four-year degree. You can be a, a regular person who goes up and just says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Use me. And th those are the people that he chooses. If you don't believe me, let's look at some examples. God's number one draft pick. Just imagine with me here. <clears throat> it's April the football season's over, and the guy with the suit gets on stage for the NFL draft, and he says, the first, pick in the, in the first pick in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft is a 99-year-old man going to the Detroit Lions or whoever's the worst team in the league. I don't know. Um, whatever, right? Like, could you imagine that? Like, people would just, the, the news would eat that up. I can't imagine what would be posted on Twitter if a 99-year-old got drafted. But Abraham was God's number one draft pick in the nation of Israel. Like God established his legacy that his own son would be born into this family line from a 99-year-old guy. Why? Because Abraham displayed faith. Abraham put his faith and trust in God when nobody else was. And because of Abraham's faith, God decided to build his legacy based off of his character. Another example, David. He was the youngest of eight brothers. The runt of the litter, right? Um, a shepherd boy. You know, his brothers all were the big, you know, tall, strong, handsome type guys. So when Samuel's like, yeah, I'm going to go anoint a king, I'm going to pick a guy that looks the part, right? And God says, no, 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 no. He says, uh, I've, uh, the Lord does not see as man sees, for the Lord looks not at the outward appearance, but at the heart. And so, like, he sees all of the older brothers walk before him, all these guys that looked the part, but none of them were. So he picks the shepherd boy who plays the harp, right? Like, like that was the guy that God chose. All right, um, Rahab. For those of you that know the story of Jericho, um, she was a woman of ill repute, right? She, she, did, she had a past. 
She was, uh, you know, she was well-known in town and not for good reasons. And uh, she was chosen um, to help ultimately bring the fall of Jericho because she knew about what God had done. And so when the Israelites show up at her doorstep, she's like, that's the God that brought the, Egypt, that brought the Israelites out of Egypt. That's the God who fulfills his promise. And that's the God that I'm going to follow. I'm done with Jericho. I'm following that God because when he shows up, I got I to gotta let it go and I got to follow him. She went all in. She did whatever she could to help the mission of God succeed. <clears throat> Another one. I have my pages out of order here. Let's talk about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a young man um, who was called to be a prophet. And uh, he was actually like, no, I'm too young. I can't do this. And God reminded him, you've had a calling on your life since before you were formed in the womb. Like, I've I've had a purpose and a plan for you before you even were aware of it. And so um, Moses, we we just talked about him. He was chosen to lead the Israelites. He had a speech impediment. He said, just like Jeremiah, he argued with God. He said, God, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I'm slow of tongue, right? But he was the one that God used to ultimately deliver the people from Egypt. Still not convinced going, going through the, uh, you know, the number one draft picks from the Old Testament. Let's, let's talk about a couple other people. Um, God used a donkey to rebuke Balaam. God used a dead guy by raising Lazarus. In fact, he was so dead that the King James Version said that he stinketh. So simply put this. If God can use donkeys, kids, and dead people, why not you, right? Why not us? Why, why not you? What, what talents are you withholding? What talents are you unwilling to use? What, what, are, you like, what are you overlooking in your own life? Like, he, he's able to use people that simply come before him and say, here I am, send me. And ultimately, you should take solace knowing that they're God's gifts anyways. So, again, going all in means holding nothing back. And finally... We talked about time, we talked about talent, we're going to end on treasure. For the guys that are, that are here, that are watching at home, they're sitting up straight, they're holding their wallets close, and they're saying, see, I knew he was coming for my money. I knew that this church was all about the money grab. Um, but no, th- see, for those of you who don't know, I have, a, I have a full-time job outside. I'm an engineer by day, pastor by night, you know. I just don't have the cape to show it. But, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's... it's uh, it's a common criticism of the church. We're all here, my coworkers say, I, don't, I love the church, I'm okay with God, but I don't like organized religion. Or I've heard people saying, you know, we serve an all-powerful God, but he's really terrible at managing his money, right? Like, I've heard all of these criticisms, and yet we're still, we're still coming face-to-face with why does God care so much about our treasure? And what is treasure? It might not be money. There might be something that you value more than money, right? It's, it's anything that we hold valuable. That's the treasure in our life. And oftentimes it's money because oftentimes, you know, if you follow your paycheck, if you follow, you know, you're balancing your checkbook, you can really see the things that you value in because those are the things that you are choosing to invest in. <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to focus uh, on this story with a pretty tough saying from Jesus from uh, Mark 10. Jesus has an interesting interaction with a guy that, for all intents and purposes, is known as the rich young ruler. So let me read this to you. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up. He knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said, for only no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, 
do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can follow me. But the young man was dismayed by this and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. And again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so I want to look at the reaction of a couple people to help us understand a little bit more about this story so we can understand what Jesus is saying about treasure in this passage, right? You can see from the passage that there's two reactions. There's, there's the disciples' reaction and there's Jesus' reaction. And the disciples, what, what did they say? When Jesus, you know, when Jesus is talking to this young guy, um, the, the reaction wasn't like, oh, great, that rich guy can't get into heaven. Ah, I never liked him anyways, right? No, what did they say? They were like, they said, then who can be saved? They're right, essentially saying, if this guy is not good enough to get into heaven, how are we, right? And so you see, Jesus is not talking about just some, like, some, like, theological concept. He's talking about the core of our faith. He's essentially answering the question, what does it take to be a Christian? And in the answer to that question, he's talking about money. So, we have to answer that question. And for the coworkers that I, that I talk to, for people who have, you know, quarrels about, about the church and money, they need to understand this. They need to understand that, that to Jesus, this topic of money is very important. It's right up there next to salvation. And so I think, um, I think it's appropriate to highlight this, right? <clears throat> so there's a flawed understanding in society, right? That in order to get to the top, you have to lie, you have to cheat, you have to steal, right? And I think when you, when you look at the list of commandments that Jesus runs this young guy through, you can see he actually hits some of those. He talks about, um, did you steal? Did you bear false witness? Did you f- commit fraud, right? Have you extorted other people? And, and, when, and when the young ruler says, no, I've, I've kept all the commandments since, he, since I was a youth, Jesus doesn't turn him away and say, you're a liar. How dare you? You know, you, I have a naughty list. I checked it twice. I know what you did in your past. No, he doesn't say that. He looks at him lovingly. That's what the passage said. So, so to me, that tells me that this guy had a good moral character. This guy was a very successful young businessman. You know, maybe he made some good investments. Maybe he was raised in a Christian home. He, he knew how to follow Jesus, right, from a, from a young age. And, and he was doing that. And Jesus is, like, proud of him. He's like, good job. You've been very successful. So we learn from this passage that Jesus is not opposed to creating wealth. It's not, it, that's not the problem. But the problem is, even though you don't make money with evil intentions, right, um, there, there, there's, and, 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 sorry, even though you don't make money with evil intentions, you can make money virtuously. You can, you can live below your means. You can practice delayed gratification, you know, yada, yada, all those things. Um, but he's not saying uh, that it's bad to have money. But this is the saying that we need to understand. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
And that's not because wealth in itself is bad. It, it, it's, it's, he's, what he's saying is it's pretty much impossible for wealthy people to enter into the kingdom of God. And I love the way that Tim Keller summarizes this passage. He says, Money has a power to blind us spiritually that is so great that anybody with any kind of money will automatically be blind to the gospel. And therefore, nobody with any money will ever be saved unless God directly intervenes. I'll read that one more time. Money has a power to blind us spiritually that is so great that anybody with any kind of money will automatically be blind to the gospel. And therefore, nobody with any money will ever be saved unless God's, God directly intervenes. So it's impossible aside from God's grace. So be warned, the money, money holds that kind of power over your life. It holds that kind of power over my life. And therefore, we need to remember that where our treasure lies, there our heart will be. And the heart of the gospel is the cross. The heart of the gospel is a free gift that's given away for the benefit of others. The heart of the gospel is pouring ourselves out so that others can meet God literally on the, our backs, on the backs of our time, on the backs of our talent, and on the backs of our treasure. And so since the gospel has never been about gaining and attaining, and giving away that free gift, that means that the gospel wasn't meant to be contained in one people group, in one place, for one time, right? And, and that's why Christianity, unlike all other major world religions, has never had one center, has never had one, like, hub in the world, right? We, we, see, we see for Islam, the center is Mecca, right? For, for Buddhism, it started in the Far East, and that's largely where it's practiced today. But Christianity, unlike all other relig religions, started in Israel, moved to the Mediterranean, moved to, uh, to the European countries, right? Moved to America, and what do we see today? We see today that, um, that Christianity's on the move again. We see that Christianity is booming in places like Central America, Africa, and China. And in China, you know, over a decade's time, two million people have come to know Christ. Why? Because the gospel is all about reaching the marginalized, reaching the people who don't have any hope. And there's something about when, 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 when the message of Christianity comes into, a, comes into power and it's in, it's, in this, you know, it's in this place where it's kind of getting mixed with like losing that, that radical nature of calling people, of, of bringing hope, of pouring yourself out. And, and it kind of mutates a little bit. It kind of changes from, from being about going all in and, and, and investing everything and, and, and giving hope away, right? To, to kind of being like another world religion where we're more focused on being virtuous, living a good, good, you know, living a good life, being a good person, and, and it loses that radical nature. <clears throat> so this is why Jesus ties money into this question about how it is to be saved, and this is why that going all in with your tre treasure is essential business for every single Christian. It's because money and power have such a power to blind us to the message of the gospel that we. We need God's intervention day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, to remind us that we are to give of ourselves, that we are to invest into the kingdom of God, and we are to go all in contributing to God's mission here on earth. So how do we go in with, how do we go in with all of our, with our time, talent, and treasure? Uh, Pastor Andy says it this way, when you go all in with your time, talent, and treasure, then you learn to thrive. So how do we thrive in our faith? We thrive by learning to live as Jesus lived. 
How do we do that? Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of time, right? He was outside of time. He wasn't bound by space or time. He left, he left that heavenly realm and he came down uh, to live in earth. He chose to be bound by the same limitations that we experience day in and day out. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of talent for us, right? He gave up being all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. He gave up all of those qualities that God has for our sake. And he made the ultimate sacrifice of treasure, leaving the right hand of the Father, leaving his life of privilege in heaven. And he made the ultimate sacrifice by ultimately coming down, being a part of humanity, living as we live, dying a death for our sake, on the cross, being beaten, mocked, scorned, and eventually rejected by those that he came to save. And Jesus is calling us to do that very same thing every single day. So what are you holding back? If going all in means holding nothing back, are you, are you holding yourself back from him today? Does the message of the gospel penetrate your heart and stir you to action to say, yes, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus because I'm ready to go all in. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if today for the first time you're ready to go all in and you're ready to say, yes, God, I'm tired of trying to figure this out. I'm tired of trying to solve my own problems. I'm tired of trying to earn my way into salvation. Um, I'd just like you to raise your hand so I can see you and I can pray for you. People online, you can click the box below the screen. Um, you can place your faith and trust in Jesus, and we'll have one of our moderators connect with you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Father, you're good. Father, you're so good. And for everybody that's placed their faith in you this morning, I pray that they would see you for who you are, a good father who wants good things for his kids. And I pray that they would see themselves as one of your children, as someone who's intrinsically valuable, as someone who's been gifted by you, and as somebody who is to go all in for your kingdom, as someone whose life is to be marked by the life of Jesus. And I pray this morning that for people that are experiencing the truth of the gospel for the first time, that they would experience that purpose, that they would experience that calling that you have on all people because you love us so much. And I pray that they would know the love of Jesus, that they would know his life, has impacted their own. We ask that you would meet with them today and help them to take their first steps in their faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.